You're listening to Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Welcome back to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and I'm joined by my co-host, Professor Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the Brand Identity Theorist. Hello, Americus. Hi, Barbara. How are you doing? Guess what? Today in our section of the show, we're calling our Spotlight segment. Awesome. We're happy to spotlight our guest, which is Lisa Matarazzo, who's the Group Vice President of Toyota Division Marketing at Toyota Motor North America. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hello there, Americus. Hey, great to have you on the program. Well, everybody's talking about Toyota. Yes. So what is it? that you've been doing right. I think Toyota's been doing okay during the pandemic. Can you tell us what a year it's been for you? Well, it has been a very crazy year. I can certainly say that um, the environment in which we operated completely changed overnight because of COVID, as you know. But uh, there is some good that, that has come of it. As unprecedented as 2020 was, it taught us that we need to remain flexible, innovative, and nimble. And those are all things that we as marketers talked about pre-COVID, but suddenly became fundamental for survival on March 11th. And so it, it has been a great learning experience, that's for sure. So, I mean, cars are an industry that haven't done as badly as some other industries because people aren't flying as much, they're driving. I thought some of the new car sales might've been going up and stuff. Exactly what does it mean to pivot during pandemic for Toyota? Can you give us more concrete Examples? Certainly. So really everything that we, we do in marketing, it was impacted because of COVID. And I can give you just a couple examples of that to, to really bring it to light. So our media buys, for example, that was heavily disrupted, and especially for Toyota, because mm. a significant portion of what we do is in sports programming. Ah. And of course, that was halted. That's interesting. So mm -hmm. it, it was a big pivot. When you suddenly don't have those properties on air, we had to look for alternative ways to, to reach people. Mm. So we have it up on digital video platforms and social media because we, know that we knew that consumption patterns were changing as people were sheltering at home. Now, another thing that was impacted is our messaging. When COVID first hit, that was in March, and we were in the middle of our big sales event campaign. And certainly a sales-oriented messaging wasn't appropriate given the circumstances. So we had to quickly concept alternative messaging, mm -hmm. produce it, and then get it on air within days, which we did. Wow. And the final example I'll give you is that all of our in-person events, so examples of those would be auto shows, lifestyle activities, and yeah. wine and drive events. Happen. <laughs> They didn't happen. They didn't so happen. We had to launch mm -hmm. two new vehicles that would have normally been at auto shows. Mm -hmm. We had to pivot that and suddenly they went online. And that was a first for us, but mm. something that has since become a norm in the industry. Oh, interesting. So, you know, they're talking, Americus and I had a pivot, not maybe not as big as you did, but we were teaching in the classroom and suddenly we had a pivot to online. You know, it's somewhat parallel to you. And one of the things they're talking for us about is we're going to get to go back in the classroom, fingers crossed, in September. Um, and a lot of us are talking, well, what have we learned from the pandemic teaching on Zoom that we're going to bring with us when we go back into the classroom? I assume some of that happened for you guys, too. 
Can you talk about how you're going to integrate the learnings back into the real life when you get to do that again? That's a really, that's a really good question. And we've talked about this return to quote unquote normal. And I actually think or hope that we don't get back to normal Mm -hmm. in the sense of 100% pre COVID because just tracking back to some of the examples that I mentioned, um, when we changed our messaging and we had to quickly concept alternative messaging and produce that very quickly, that's a learning that we will take into the future because that ability to respond quickly to what's happening in the marketplace is absolutely critical. Mm -hmm. And those learnings really need to be um, cascaded into the future. And I think how we think of in-person events and keeping people safe Mm. once we're over COVID and hopefully that will be soon, but I think we will be even more mindful of how we, we keep people safe and we execute these in-person events Mm -hmm. in a way that, that everyone is comfortable with. So think about flu season. We could have some learnings that carry forward nice. um, that, that have come out of COVID. So there are many different examples. We're trying to gather all that information and that insight mm-hmm. and make sure that it's not left behind. So what I'm hearing is you're learning like different processes, so to speak, as well as concrete differences in behavior, like this notion of pivoting quickly, responding quickly, that however you got everybody together to do that was a learning in and of itself, just the process to redo that, as well as what I was asking you originally about was just the concrete changes, how much is going to be virtual versus uh, that. That's very interesting. I like that a lot. Interesting. Yeah. And then to build on Barbara's point and get your perspective on this as well. You know, we were in a, in the previous segment, we were talking about hit or miss uh, in terms of broad things in the marketing world, in, in, in these learnings that you're looking at on the online events, what were the, some things that jumped out were, that were surprising that you learned from, oh, we, didn't, we wouldn't have known this had we not ever gone to this virtual setting uh, versus some other things that perhaps didn't work as well or were challenging. So in some senses, I guess what I'm asking is like, were there some big aha moments that were little pieces of, of little wisdom and nuggets that, oh, we learned this because of the virtual setting and we're gonna keep doing this one thing because of the virtual setting and things like, can you talk us through a little bit of those, some, some of those key learnings? Sure, well, I think one thing that we, we learned and I'll, I'll go back to how we launch vehicles. Um, typically we would be at an auto show setting, which is an industry event. And we would, we would launch a vehicle and the automotive industry press would get to see it. They would write about it and then they would put it out there in the marketplace once embargo lifted. But when we've gone to this virtual environment, it's actually allowed us to, to open that audience up a bit more. Mm. So now we have our own consumers and fans and um, they're online and they're viewing this content oh, as that's well. Interesting. And it's, it's a really interesting way for them to see directly from us uh-huh. um, something that they wouldn't normally see and get a little bit closer to that product reveal. So for us, that's exciting, especially because we have so many Toyota loyalists and advocates out there, they mm-hmm. get to kind of participate in a way in a vehicle wow. launch. So that's Super one interesting. Learning. So by participation, Lisa, do you mean that if, if, I'm a, if I'm a Toyota loyalist and I've got Toyota tattooed on my bicep, <laughs> uh, am, am I on the live stream like typing and just reacting and like putting emojis and stars and like showing all the love for Toyota? That's really interesting. So we, yeah, we did have that. So we had, we had it, it opened up and we've seen this. Um, uh, we did the same thing with Lexus as well. They launched the new Lexus IS and it was online. 
Nice. So this is part of a bigger trend that we're seeing now. I know it's super complicated in the car industry, but a lot of these brands are going direct um, and not through their wholesalers. So you're, and some of them like Nike's kind of pulled out a wholesale and they're just going direct pretty much. Some of the CPG firms are having a direct connection with their end users, but they're still saying wholesale. I know in the car industry, there's a lot of regulations and a complicated relationship between the OEMs and their dealers. So it's pretty complicated with the regulation on all of that. But it sounds like what you're doing with this live streaming and direct connection to their end user is a way of going direct and really reaching out to your end user and not having to go through the dealer, which was typically the channel, I would think. Well, we, we've always marketed directly to the consumers and we actually do it in conjunction with our dealers when you think about how our industry is structured. So there are communications that come from us as the corporate Toyota brand, as well as communications that come from the dealers and the dealer associations. So I don't think that is, is too far of a stretch. Uh, we view the dealers as absolutely critical regulation or no regulation. <laughs> the dealers are, you know, they're in the communities, they're embedded, they have the direct relationship. Um, and they're selling the vehicles. But now what has been interesting when you talk about pivots and, and things that will carry over into the future, um, we know that behavior changed because people were locked down, yet they still had needs for their cars. And whether that was buying a new car or that was having a new car service. So our dealers stepped up and they have just done an incredible, incredible job figuring out how to do that online, how to provide the, the flexibility that consumers wanted and many of them still want um, in, in, in a different way. And so a number of dealers made it easier for consumers to shop or service their vehicles wherever and, and however mm -hmm. was most convenient for them. We had dealers who were visiting customers either at their home or their office oh, for wow. service, like oil changes. Wow. And then for shopping, many dealers are offering the ability to explore and configure and purchase a new or certified pre-owned vehicle online. And then the dealer will deliver it straight to the consumer's doorstep. And in fact, we've been working hand in hand with our dealers across the United States to integrate the online and the in-store retail experience. And we're the first um, mainstream auto manufacturer to offer the customers the opportunity to, to do that mm -hmm. um, without the need to physically enter That's the dealership. Fantastic. And so That's we have fantastic. a proprietary tool called, called SmartPath. It's a digital retailing tool. We started this pre-COVID and mm. we accelerated it during COVID because mm -hmm. it, it became uh, such a need for our dealers. Mm -hmm. That's been, what a terrific example for omni-channel marketing. America's, we've been talking about that a lot on the show, how a lot of this retail is going omni-channel, you know, physical experience merged with online. And I, I agree that the ones that are in the best shape to do this were the ones who started it before COVID, they already saw it coming. Yeah. So they were lined up in a much better place, but this mm -hmm. is yet another great example of that kind of omni, it's not really offline online. It's, it's, thinking about it as one process, how you're going to mm -hmm. deliver the product to the end user. Mm -hmm. So you've been working on a new campaign for your 2021 Sienna model. What, what has that been about? Yeah. So our, our new minivan, the Sienna, we, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're referring to um, maybe the Pinterest 
campaign yeah, yeah, that we did? Right, okay. Right. Yeah. So we're excited to be the first auto brand to partner with creators on Pinterest to bring the mm-hmm. Sienna to market and really showcase its versatility. Um, then that's why our campaign, it features a diverse collection of creators and mm. everyone from an adventure photographer to a florist to a restaurateur. They're all using the platform's newest storytelling format. It's mm. called Story Pins okay. to showcase their best Sienna life through mm. video and static content. Uh, and like the it. custom pins show how versatile the new Sienna is. And it's really meant to inspire others to see the creative ways the vehicle, its space, and its feature can be its features can be used. I mean, I love this. Can I just thank you for doing this, Lisa? This is fantastic because, you know, I think about I think about this is what Barbara talks about all the time. She preaches about this: the idea of the 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 two way communication between the consumer and the 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 brand steward or the company or the product. And I love this example because in a world where you're trying to differentiate and create a strong brand that is both differentiated from competitive offerings, but also allows America to express identity uh, in his own unique way is fantastic. And the idea of like, let, let them tell their, let the creatives tell their stories is such an organic way to create a brand and create an authentic brand. I just love the idea. Thoughts, Barbara, what do you think about this? No, I, see you I agree. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's a little bit risky, I suppose, because sometimes we may tell a story that's not consistent with your brand. So it's gotta be that you have such a strong brand culture that, yes. that it all fits together. So I, I don't think it's like letting it wide open for serendipity necessarily, but if you do a good job and you have a good brand, which certainly Toyota is one of the top brands in the world, mm-hmm. um, it's probably less risky than others, but it, yes, it totally brings us all on board, right? I mean, it becomes authentic. It becomes our brand. It's a great idea. And I, lo- I love the interface, Barbara, because I'm always trying to think about, you know, the young, the young folks and these, I got to tell you, Lisa, I am a, uh, a digital immigrant. So, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I don't know what clubhouse is. Everybody say, get on clubhouse. I have no idea what Triller is. Okay, fine. Barbara just taught me about TikTok because she had some folks on the show who are good at TikTok. Okay, great. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm up to my neck and just like, I'm just trying to stay on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram. I just on, on a little bit Facebook. I, I can't do all this stuff. So the, when I see brands actually jumping out there and doing it in the right way and creating something authentic and interesting, it's almost inspirational to me because it's like, okay, now I want to, Pinterest. Okay, sure. Let me go check out, you know, what the cool opportunities from a creative perspective are. So talk a little bit about the vision that's required to say, we're going to lean in on these platforms and we're going to create this integration that Barbara's talking about across entire elements of our process. And also to add to what America said, if you don't mind, like, what's in a big culture shift for you? Um, because you have such, you know, you're a really big brand. You can see a digitally native vertical brand doing this very quickly. But, you know, moving into these new platforms and doing these things in a different way, how hard was that for you to get everybody on board while you're digital immigrants that might have been in the company as well? Well, we actually have have been testing and learning. It's part of our DNA. And we actually budget that way. I mean, we start the year and we set aside funds that we are going to, we know we're going to use. We may not know what the specific opportunity is, but we know we're going to try something new and learn from it. And it, so I'm not going to say it's easy, 
but it is something that we, I think, do a particularly good job with. And to your point, you really, you really have to, uh, you really have to understand where you're coming from, what you're trying to accomplish. You also need to understand who you're talking to. So I don't think you can force it. And there are times where we've maybe seen new opportunities and innovative opportunities, but it's simply not a fit for what we're trying to accomplish. But when it all comes together and you're speaking authentically, whether it's about a product or your brand and the media opportunity is there and it's innovative and you can learn from it, then it all comes together much, much easier. And we always say at the end of the day, it's important to reflect back um, figure out what we learned, what we can take away and carry forward into our next initiative. But I would say oftentimes there's far more good and positive that comes from it. And, you know, you have to be willing to stumble as well, but there are learnings in that too. Mm-hmm. So let me reintroduce you. I'm Barbara Kahn and here with America's Reed. This is Marketing Matters. We're joined by Lisa Matarazzo, who's a group vice president at Toyota Division Marketing. And we've been talking a little bit about social media campaigns, but you guys also went for traditional advertising this year and you went straight for the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your Super Bowl commercial and why you chose an inspirational figure like Jessica Long to star and maybe how you use that commercial connected with your social media world to create a, a great big splash, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thanks. And I love talking about Super Bowl. So for a marketer, there's, there's probably no uh, more exciting question you can ask than Super Bowl. So our Super Bowl spot this year was called Upstream, and it highlighted the story of our team Toyota athlete Jessica Long's incredible journey and accomplishments, as well as the power of a family's love. So Jessica, if you don't know about Jessica, she is a truly inspirational person. She's a Paralympic legend who's won 23 medals, 13 of them are gold. Wow. And um, people with with physical disabilities and differences can be a highly marginalized group. So it's really important to give them a voice. Mm -hmm. And as a top sponsor of the International Olympic Committee and the Paralympic Committee in this newly created mobility category, it was really our honor, Toyota's honor to highlight Jessica's story. And, you know, to me, the end line of the spot speaks volumes. It's, we believe there is hope and strength in all of us. Mm. And it beautifully captures Jessica's journey, as well as Toyota's belief in respect for people and the power of mobility. Mm-hmm. And it aims to inspire others, which I believe it did. And that's why we featured her story. That's really why, why we did it. And did you get a lot of social media connection before? I mean, I know a lot of what happens with the Super Bowl is all the road to the Super Bowl and all the discussion about it. And then after the Super Bowl, all the continuation, did you, and I imagine a story like this would generate a lot of that kind of activity. So is that what you found and planned for? It did. This was multiple channels. So although, of course, the spot aired on linear Super Bowl um, during the big game, Uh, Upstream was promoted via Toyota USA channel, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Hmm. that followed the debut of the spot on the uh, morning news, February 3rd. So that's when we debuted the spot. And we also had a social campaign. So we had an initiative, hashtag, hashtag Ask Jessica Long, and we collected questions for Jessica from Twitter fans 
following the debut of the Upstream Spa. And then Jessica filmed responses directly to the fans. And she also filmed videos for select fan comments on Toyota USA channels Mm. to surprise and delight them with a personalized response. And the feedback was, was very favorable. As you can imagine. Yeah. And I imagine you collect a lot of metrics and all of that and you know pretty well that it was a pretty successful campaign in terms of impressions and brand equity build and all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And let yeah. me ask you this though, Lisa, because I, I do want to, I, I, I need your help, Lisa, because <laughs> many times, and it was, this was, this comment that I'm about to make was implicit in Barbara's uh, statement that she just made. Many times we see people shy away from exercises that don't have an incredibly clear one-to-one translation of I did X and now I sold Y cars. And they kind of miss the point of sometimes it's about what Barbara said, building that brand equity, elevating the brand. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a top of funnel exercise. And the top of funnel exercise should not be trivialized as something that you don't want to do because you don't necessarily have, quote unquote, the hard data necessarily that says, here's the exact ROI on that dime I spent doing that thing that was top of the, you know what I mean? So help, help us, help the, the, the marketers, the strategists, the, the business gurus, help them understand that it's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to elevate the brand. I'm going to do a bit of this, this, this harder work at the top of the funnel because it pays off eventually if I'm doing it right. Help us, help us understand that that's something that we can do. The top of the funnel is just as critical. So I could not agree with you more. Those brand building efforts are important. And, you know, if you don't fill the top of the funnel, you don't have anything in the bottom of the funnel. So all of it matters. And there are actually metrics you can put against those top of the funnel efforts. So there is an ROI there. It may not be, it's not not going to be, I'm selling a vehicle tomorrow, but it is building that affinity, building that image for people who don't know a lot about Toyota. It's important for them to understand who we are as a brand and what we believe, our DNA. Mm -hmm. So yes, we build great cars, but it's about much more than that. And they need to know that. And this is an example of how we can show them and how we can highlight just this amazing story and amazing journey for one of our team Toyota Paralympians and also the Baker Paralympic movement. Mm-hmm. Let me, I, we don't have many minutes left, but just in the last minute or so, if you could tell us your Toyota's position, your position on electric vehicles. I mean, this is gonna be a big change in the industry. I know Toyota's already, already been high on hybrids, but it's different. Electric vehicles different than hybrid. It's a completely different consumer behavior. And are you guys bullish on electric vehicles in the future? The way we think of it is they're all electrified vehicles. They're different <laughs> flavors. So it's different. It's, it's all like ice cream, if you will. But there's yeah. vanilla ice cream. There's chocolate <laughs> ice cream. There's Rocky right. Road. So Toyota is a leader in electrified vehicles. Hybrid are core strategy for us and have been since we introduced the Prius more than two decades ago. So currently we have across the Toyota and the Lexus lineup, 17 hybrid vehicles, plug-in hybrids or fuel cells that are available. And actually in February, so to your point, we announced plans to debut three new electrified models this year, two battery electric vehicles and a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. Um, So we 
ultimately believe that the consumer will decide which powertrain technology is right for their lifestyle. And we will continue to provide a portfolio of options for them. And that will, that will range across battery electric vehicles, plug-in hybrid vehicles, fuel cells, and whatever may come in the future. Well, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I, every time I pick up the newspaper, maybe I'm, well, you, listen to me, newspaper. BK, <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>, come on. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, whenever I look at my phone and check out the news. Nice save, <laughs> nice save. <laughs> it seems that everybody's talking about electric vehicles. I mean, because like, I think in California, they said no more new gas stations and mm-hmm, we're mm-hmm. really moving forward on electric vehicles. And that is such a big change in consumer behavior. I got to figure, well, I'm sure just like with pre-COVID, Toyota's ready for the changes. We we are ready. (laughs) I can guarantee you that we are ready. (laughs) Nice. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you and what Toyota's doing? Well, they can certainly always visit us on toyota.com and they can check out all our great vehicles and uh, everything we have going on, including our initiatives with the Olympics as well. Excellent. Okay. Well, that's all we have time for today. A big thanks to Professor Americus Reed for being my co-host today. I'd like to thank our audio engineer, Dion Simpkins, Chris Tooks, and our producer, Dana Cash. We're here every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. We replay our show several times throughout the week. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter at SXMBusiness for information about our show and guest lineup. Thank you all for listening today. Till then... This has been Marketing Matters. I'm Barbara Kahn here with America's Read, Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.